Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Leanne S., John Dulong, and Joe Sias Melendez. Listeners like you. Become a supporter of the podcast today at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. Email. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And by contributions from listeners like you. Literally at ElwoodCityLimits.Libson.com. Thank you. Cha-ching, cha-ching, baby. Seems like everything is happening all at once, Lucas. Because I mean, this is this is usually the t- time of the show where I mention the NBA Finals. But not only are those going on right now, uh, we've got the Stanley Cup Finals that are going to be happening very soon. We are recording this on the uh, uh, on just a few hours before Game Seven. Not only that, but uh, over in uh, Japan, we've got the best of the Super Juniors tournament going on right now. It's a busy time. To be a sports fan. I'm making my prediction, Will. Yep. Lucas Domus predicts that in seven games, the winner of Lord Stanley's Cup will be the Las Vegas Golden Knights. What a story that would be. That's just just kind of reading about and having a friend who's more versed in hockey than me kind of talk about it. It seems buck wild that we got to this point with the Las Vegas uh, Golden Knights. I'm sure you'll be excited for the Moneyball-style movie that they'll eventually make. <laughs> uh, Bobby uh, Kodak and all. And uh, in probably in shorter time than that, the ESPN 30 for 30 about how this mm, happened. Mm, mm. Well, and uh, I'm, I've, got a, I've got a bold prediction for maybe the two people listening, that being oh. you and me. Uh, you know, I, I don't have much to say about the NBA. I'm not I'm not I'm not 100% sure about the NHL finals but I'm willing to to put it on audio here. I'm saying that Bone Soldier is oh going all the oh way in the best of the Super Juniors. I don't know about that. I do Oh my goodness gracious, Bone Soldier, eh? <laughs> uh now who I have in front of me um we have there's also the Money in the Bank ladder match coming up, Will. Oh, no. Which don't... involves Braun Strowman versus Finn Balor versus The Miz versus Rusev versus Bobby Roode versus Kevin Owens versus uh, one member of the New Day versus either Daniel Bryan or Samoa Joe. Do you have a prediction for that? No, gotta see gotta see how TV kind of shakes out. But, uh, you know, it's... I'm trying to I'm trying to think more on the side of like who's been kind of a bigger loser that they can put the briefcase on. So it's kind of between uh, Rusev, Samoa Joe, and one of the New Day members. But I'm not sure. I think it'll be Braun Strowman because he's big. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Do you think they'll bring out the big ladder? Oh my god, I hope so. <laughs> what did Jerry Lawler say? He's like, that's a big ladder. <laughs> what do you like swore on the air? Uh, there's also the women's match, which we have Ember Moon versus Charlotte Flair versus Alexa Bliss versus Becky Lynch versus Natalia versus Lana versus Naomi versus TBD. Uh, my money's on TBD with this one. I'm going to say Natalia. I think that's how we uh, get. You are uh, so optimistic. Keep Ronda Rousey is, going. <laughs> uh, oh, just if only they 
They had you as the booker, Will. That sounds like it would be a much better product. Thank you, thank you. All right, that's enough of that. If we haven't scared you off yet, this is actually Elwood City Limits, the podcast about PBS's Arthur. Welcome, welcome, as we go through one episode at a time. This is Will Young, uh, one of your hosts, along with Lucas Mancini. Hello, hi, how you doing? No more BS, Lucas. We got to get into our mailbag because this may be the most email that we've gotten for uh, one episode. So we got to oh make sure that is we... It, if people really, really wanted to tell us if they had uh, bagged milk or not, apparently. Well, that is part of it. But uh, <laughs> given that we just came off one of the most popular episodes of Arthur ever... Arthur's big mm. hit, see our last episode. Uh, I should have anticipated that the response would be quite large. So that's at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Let's not waste any more time. Uh, this email is titled, The Coming of the Fist, in all caps, and it's sent in by Matt, uh, who's been catching up with the podcast. Can't wait for us to cover season four. Uh, we talked about, at one point, how little we've seen of the modern seasons of Arthur, uh, Matt's interested how we'll deal with the last several seasons. He says, Be- besides the decline in animation, I found the newer seasons seems more aimed at kids and less enjoyable to all ages. Not necessarily a negative in itself, uh, but not sure what kind of discussion that we'll get out of that. Uh, on an unrelated note, regardless of any genre or themes, what are some of your favorite podcast recommendations? Keep up the good work from Matt. That's very interesting. I... Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts these days. I've really upped my my intake. Uh, Lucas, what do you normally truck with? Uh, I'm just I'm pulling up the library now. Uh, so right now, I'm listening to All Systems Goku mm. and also watching Dragon Ball Z uh, along with them, which is a really fun time. It's a great Dragon Ball Z recap podcast. Uh, the Bodega Boys, Jesus and Mero's podcast, which is another absolute favorite of mine. Um, I listened to the Dan Carlin Common Sense with Dan Carlin and Dan Carlin's Hardcore History when that updates every once in a while. Uh, the Giant Bombcast and the Giant Bomb After Show are two very good video game podcasts that I adore. Uh, How About Now, a, po- a monthly podcast about two girls trying out new things uh, featuring Giant Bomb's Abby Russell and Danica uh, from Waypoint is also a really good podcast. Uh, and then I, the Giant Beast cast, Giant Bombs New York podcast. I have my MMA podcast that I listen to, uh, the MMA Beat and the MMA Hour, uh, both hosted by Ariel Hawani of MMAFighting.com. Uh, and the Ringer NBA show, which is uh, the Ringer's uh, NBA podcast. As well as uh, I listen to the Flophouse every once in a while, which is Three Guys Watch a Bad Movie. I like that one as well. Um... And it's not on iTunes or anything. You have to pay for it, but I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't mention uh, Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer Radio, which I also listen to uh, throughout the week. I'll go quickly through mine. Uh, my, actually, I started with podcasts, I think around 2008, 2009. My first one was Smodcast. That's Kevin Smith's podcast. Very funny, but uh, may only be of interest to you if you kind of like his whole thing, which you may or you may not. I happen to love. Uh, when it comes to wrestling, a uh, big fan of the Attitude Era podcast, the New Generation Project podcast, which I'm desperately hoping will update again someday, uh, How to Wrestling um, as well as uh, the SmackDown Crawl, which is the uh, one of the Patreon podcasts that I subscribe to. I like the movie podcast Cinema Swirl, the comedy podcast The Comedy Button. I echo your uh, 
your liking of the Giant Bombcast and Beastcast. Um, da, 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 I'm just going through mine. I listened to Waypoint Radio, Weird Heat, uh, Reply All is a really good one I just discovered recently. Uh, All Systems Goku as well. Of course, the John DeLong Show from our friend John DeLong. Uh, Danny O'Dwyer's YouTube series No Clip recently started a podcast, and that's uh, really good to get on, on, the, on the ground floor of. I have to check that out. It's really good. Uh, at least the first episode is very interesting. And finally, my favorite podcast in them all is We Hate Movies, which actually recently got a bit of a sly mention in a very new Arthur episode. Interesting. Yeah. So those are our podcast recommendations. Uh, do with that what you will. Thanks, Matt. Coming up next to uh, Cat, who is uh, at us with a segment idea, question mark. Uh, they say, on one of my dives into the Arthur Wiki, I found that Mr. Ratburn's class has a student of the month list that appears to be counting the points each student earns. This rattled around in my head. I think it might be a good segment idea for all of the uh, ensemble episodes. You could see which of the students has the greatest lines or makes you sympathize with them the most. You could point that in the review itself and keep a note of it and then uh, name the student of the season. Uh, when it's all said and done. That way you can keep track and see if Muffy ever gets better or if Binky really is the best in a more quantifiable way. That's kind of a cool idea. That is kind of a cool idea. Um, I'd even like to do that per episode. Like with the individual ensemble episodes, it's like student of the episode. Who in the ensemble episode uh, stood out the most? Yeah, let's see if we can uh, keep that going throughout. Now, of course, we these uh, next couple of ones are specifically on our episode about Arthur's big hit. I wanted to start off with one of them that is coming at it from a little bit of a different tone than we're used to getting here on the emails. Uh, so this one is Arthur's big hit retort from Amelia, uh, who says that the previous episode was maybe the most frustrating episode of the podcast that they've listened to because, Will, you are flat out wrong. Interesting. In saying that DW should have been punished, you're missing the point that she already was by Arthur. Being hit by him was already far worse than the few nights of TV or whatever she would have missed as punishment from mom and dad. The issue is, which the parents say in the episode, it wasn't Arthur's job to punish DW, it's mom and dad's. Arthur didn't punch DW for no reason. He made the decision to punish her by hitting her, and in turn was punished by mom and dad not only for that action, but for that decision as well. Sorry for the long email. I'm a little frustrated trying to get my point across soundly. I hope you've understood a little where I'm coming from. That's from Amelia. And that actually did make me uh, kind of rethink what I said uh, last episode. That's a very good point that uh, DW's punishment shouldn't uh, definitely shouldn't be severe. Maybe shouldn't exist at all because she's already kind of uh, um, paid for what she's done in a way that in a way that she shouldn't have had to. So, uh, Amelia, I think you made a great point, and I appreciate that you uh, that you brought that up. Yeah, hey, yeah, that's a really thoughtful, uh, well put email. I agree with her. I also see how you might have missed that fact, Will, just because the memetic quality of the art, the actual punch itself, like. Looking back on it, we have this sort of lighthearted lens we look at it because it's become this big meme. Uh, so when actually taken in the context of the story, it lost its weight a little bit. Mm. And I bet if we were thinking at it about it through that lens, maybe we would have realized that, yes, indeed, she already was punished through physical violence. Yeah. Uh, the, our next email is from Norbert, uh, who has something to say about the episode, the episode itself, not our episode. 
Uh, I thought that the message in Arthur's big hit was pretty poorly done. Even as a little kid, I felt that the level of horrified everyone seems to be with kids punching each other was crazy. <laughs> it's natural. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Norbert's a chip off the old block, isn't he? <laughs> uh, it's natural and healthy for kids, especially siblings, to fight every once in a while. My little brother and I fought all the time, and our age gap is only a year less between Arthur and DW. And with non-siblings, I fought with kids up to six years older than me oh my goodness i know it's a kid's show and a pbs one at that but this episode just made the arthur universe feel like an alien world where kids don't so much as roughhouse with each other my biggest problem with the message was that it equates arthur punching dw after she antagonized him for weeks and destroyed something he's worked very hard on for very long after many many warnings with the random, completely unprovoked punch from Binky. Even people who think that Arthur shouldn't have punched DW should be able to admit that those are nowhere near the same thing. Someone's from Norbert. Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, as for that kind of, as for the second point there, it, it, uh, I, th- I, think we, oh. I think we talked about it in the episode how it felt weird to equate one with the other. Uh, so two things. Yeah. One, how, how big is the age gap between Arthur and DW? It's four years. Okay, that's the same age gap as me or, and my sister. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I uh, I think there's a difference between roughhousing and then out of pure anger clocking someone. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I will say that I it's not that I necessarily disagree uh, with the email. Um, in fact, I probably tend to agree more than I disagree, but like PBS isn't going to make a, a show where the moral is it's okay to roughhouse. I don't think there's a single kid's show ever to espouse the qualities of, of uh, you know, sometimes violence is the answer. That's just, it's not something kids shows do. Uh, that just, I don't know. Like, as much as sometimes roughhousing, especially with your siblings, is a part of life growing up and a real realistic thing that happens is and is pretty normal, um, you're never going to see a kids show say that it's okay. That's just, people would be writing letters, there'd be protests, and you know what, at the end of the day, that's probably the wrong message to send to a developing mind. As much of as much of it is a reality of growing up, uh, you're not going to see a kid's show be like, yes, punch people. Yeah, you're right, especially one that's aimed at such a younger a younger audience. Plus, uh, it's it can be easy to forget that we actually do see a lot of roughhousing on Arthur uh, between the Tibble twins. They like mm. pretty much almost every scene they're in. They end up in basically like a a dust cloud of a fight. So that is that is represented. I mean, there yeah, like Lucas said, there's a difference between kind of roughhousing and uh, the the uh, the act that Arthur did to DW, which is re- is a lot harder to kind of uh, to kind of justify, especially when it's like an old an older kid hitting a younger kid. I mean, I I can't speak to your uh, childhood experience, Norbert, and I never, like, uh, picked a fight with somebody who was years older than me. That's uh, way, way too scary for me. But uh, there is a significant amount of growth that Arthur has over DW, and uh, uh, even just put even just uh, putting that aside, it's, uh, yeah, it's just not something that you would want to encourage roughhousing like you never uh, in my experience with it it was never it's never something that you do necessarily out of anger it's just kind of like a form of play this definitely wasn't a form of play at all it was uh, an emotional response 
So now, I, uh, while we've talked about this, I've actually remembered there is a, a cartoon that does have an episode that has a far more nuanced take uh, uh, on violence as a solution. Um, and it's an episode of Adventure Time. Uh, I forget the actual name. It could be called His Hero. I'm trying to figure that out now. But it's the episode where uh, Finn and Jake meet Finn's uh, hero, Billy, mm. who's like a uh, – and they, they try to get him to rethink his ways of solving problems. And his, his usual way was to beat up the villains. Um, and that's – if you're looking for more of a, a, a nuanced take – uh, which I think is what the the email is looking for. That might be more your speed, mm-hmm. but in Arthur, I wouldn't expect something like that. Our final email has to do with milk bags. It's from Matthew. Milk bags. Sound the milk bag alarm. Since you asked for it, here's a little more American perspective on the topic of quote unquote Canadian milk bags. For reference, I'm from the Midwest region, specifically Indiana. First of all, had to go back and watch... Shouts the- out to the Pacers. Big time. Had to go back and watch the Arthur episode, Mom and Dad Have a Great Big Fight Again, to even remember what Mom and Dad were doing in the kitchen. I had never given much thought to what they were actually cooking or baking. Now that I look closer, the bag in the red pitcher does look pretty foreign to me. I've personally never heard of bagged milk or anything like what you guys are talking about. The only thing I could have related to milk bags is something very similar to what Yoshi previously emailed about. My brother had milk bags in his first grade around 1997. He described it pretty simply as a personal-sized plastic bag with milk in it. By the time I got to first grade in 2000, everyone got little milk cartons instead. Eventually, they could be flavored. Don't know if this clears anything up or further deepens the milk bag mystery, but there you have it. So, Lucas, after this email, I'm just picturing... um, uh, a school cafeteria handing out like Ziploc bags with milk in them and like oh, a straw. <laughs> so well, I... they're, they're they're like Slurpees, right? It's like, do you remember Slurpees? Si- sippies, yeah. Sippies, sippies, Slurpees. I I I, don't know. I, I called them sippies. Uh, we well, I don't know if they have this in America, but in America, the closest thing I can think of to a personal milk bag is Slurpees or sippies or whatever they were called was like a bag of juice that had basically the equivalent of a personal carton. Um, of juice in it, but yeah, like so here in Canada, I don't know if the listeners know this or not, but here in Canada, you could get like two liters of milk in a bag, uh, and it's just like a big old bag of milk. We're all about that bag milk life. Yeah, well, I feel like that's also kind of a, like a meme, like Americans being like Canadians are so crazy because in my household we never had a milk bag. Uh, we always had just like the regular degular carton. Mm. Um, I don't know if the bag is cheaper or what are the benefits of having, if it lasts longer, what are the benefits of having a bag as opposed to a carton? But the, I think you could still get them. I was just in the grocery store today. I should have looked to see if the bag milk is cheaper or not. Uh, kids, the mystery continues. So if you have any observations about bag milk in your area, Canada, U.S. or otherwise, Send it into ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Thank you to our myriad uh, emailers this week. Some great ones. And even if you, again, if you disagree with something that we say on the show, email in. It's okay. We welcome disagreement. It's okay. We don't all have to uh, think the same things about the same things. So it's Someone o- emails and they're just like, I don't think milk bags exist at all. I think you guys are lying. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, now after all that, let's get to it. We're going through season four uh, of Arthur, and we're starting off with Hide and Snake. Uh, another kind of out there uh, cold open to this one. We get the James Bond, or excuse me, James Hound style opening. 
That's right. Uh, Arthur's uh, rocking his Archer-esque uh, mission uh, turtleneck. Yeah, it does look like when, Ar- when Archer goes out on a mission. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, hopefully less yelling at Lana in that one. Uh, he's talking about the fun of keeping a secret between friends. So he's going through like this elaborate, almost like, uh, get smart style, uh, entrance way to get to like this, uh, Mm. secret laboratory where the brain is guarding a box, like with a secret light in it. It's, it's like the, uh, the briefcase from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I wrote down the same thing. Like we, we never necessarily get to see what's in the box. Um, but, and, and it's like this Mission Impossible, they got the lasers from, uh, the end fight in Star Wars Episode One, uh, guarding it, it's this big elaborate setup, uh, and then Binky arrives on the scene in his spy versus spy Carmen Sandiego getup, he got the trench coat and the fedora and the sunglasses. It's a great, it's a great Binky look, and he takes a look inside the, uh, the box and then runs oh, out. Arthur lets out uh, Arthur lets out this great cry. He goes, "Barnes, don't do it." It's so strange to hear Binky referred to as Barnes, but that's also like an A-plus spy name. I love it. Uh and then he runs out screaming from the secret lab and then uh what what's the final line? It's like, "Oh no, the secret is out." Or something to that Yeah, yeah, now our secret's out and we never do get to see what the secret was that drove Binky so towards madness the actual episode starts uh actually on a familiar note with uh, mom discovering that arthur's room is a complete mess as arthur is running out to join his friends and she yells she yells at him uh out the window like like they're in new york or something like hey arthur you didn't clean your room i wrote down like arthur are we still doing this i thought we were over this you know what i mean We've done this dance before, Arthur. Exactly. Clean your dang room. Like <laughs> Also, he got out of that way easier than than at the episode at the end of season three. He's just like, Yeah, but I gotta go, so bye. <laughs> so like he just like it ain't no thing. He just got out of that. So Arthur is running to the park to join it on a game of hide and seek already in progress, where Binky is doing the counting down. And he actually pulls off the greatest trick that Binky ever pulled was convincing people that he didn't know how hide and seek works. He like he just he waits there for like several minutes and everybody else comes out and is like, it's like, Binky, you were supposed to find us. And he's like, oh, I thought you were I was supposed to hide and you were supposed to seek me. And they're like, no, that's not how it works. Then Binky tags them all because he figured it out. He's ahead of the curve. This one. Yeah, Binky's playing three-dimensional chess. Everybody else is playing hide-and-seek. <laughs> He's sticking to the script. These people s- skipping scenes. Oh, my God. Uh, so all of a sudden, Arthur starts to giggle and says, Stop tickling me. And uh, then it's like someone's tickling my back, and then he finds out that it's a snake. Dude, I would freak the hell out if a snake crawled on my back. Like, Arthur, not... Arthur takes it really well. I, yeah, my dad's like that, where he's, like, super scared of snakes. I'm not one of these, like, super, like, icked out by snake people. Uh, I wouldn't mind it that much. Like, if it was, like, a June bug flying in my shirt, I'd be downright hysterical. But a snake crawling up my back, I feel like I'd be able to deal with it the same way Arthur does. Uh, But, Will, this does bring into question, once again, we're returning to our old friend, the animal hierarchy. Oh, boy. I think I have... Yeah. 
Well, it's like, oh, nobody asked the snake about how he felt about this. No, and this snake is, like, strangely kind of cute looking. Like, it's not uh, it's not very menacing. Uh it's uh it's a red it's a red snake with a bit of a yellow underbelly and black stripes. And so cute that uh Buster offers to take him to the sugar bowl. Yeah. And I I, I kind of wrote down an animal hierarchy thing here about uh they just the it starts to rain and they're like he can't stay out here in the rain and then I'm like animals not wanting other animals caught outside in the rain. Hmm. I feel like a snake would like it in the rain. Yeah, I like. I think what they're. Is, what I think, do they know about what the snake wants? Yeah, I think their worrying is unfounded. This is kind of a not a not a not a great uh, approach to keeping an animal in its natural habitat. So for for the record, yeah, it's not not the greatest idea that uh, nobody's really uh, offering to take him home. But uh, and and does and Arthur eventually is the one to take him home. Yeah, our, our Arthur nominates himself to take him home. Everybody kind of offers up like, oh, are you sure your parents are going to be okay with that? Uh, and so he decides to keep it under wraps initially. They have dinner. Um, By the way, th- th- spaghetti and meatballs for dinner? You see the size of those meatballs? Oh, that's a proper that's a proper spaghetti and meatballs, Well, they're, they're, uh, bi- they're as big as Kate's eyes. Yeah, no, my... Uh, when I have spaghetti, my nonna's homemade spaghetti and meatballs, the meatball should be at least like a third of a fist. Like they, they gotta wow. be some big old meatballs. Oh man. That sounds great. I ain't playing with no marble sized meatballs. I, 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 I want the biggins. Um, but, uh, Arthur, there's a great line in here where, uh, Arthur's mom sort of sending him Arthur actually says I need to go up to my room and Arthur's mom is initially like not happy about it because she's like you need to clean your room and he's like I only want to go up to it to clean it and so she's convinced but on his way out um, uh, because Arthur's mom also says he needs to wash pal that's his other chore that he has to do is clean his room and wash pal and on his way up Arthur goes speaking of pet care what if we uh, you know had a different another pet A, a snake like a snake he says it under his breath and it's a really great lie delivery yeah it's like what would happen if a small animal like say a snake <laughs> uh and and arthur's parents just kind of think he's talking nonsense they say absolutely not and also stop stalling yeah how did they not see through this immediately like when when you have to have the well what if my friend had <laughs> a snake what would you say to that my friend should do kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, come on here. Classic cartoon setup. By the way, I just got to say, Kate is way too young for spaghetti and meatballs. Spaghetti, maybe. Meatballs, no. You got to cut those up. Arthur's friends actually show up at the door, and they are worried because they looked up uh, information about the snake, and they think that it might be dangerous. In fact, Sue Ellen has the rhyme, red band near black, venom lack. Red band near yellow, bite a fellow. You ever heard that before? No, if only the girl from True Grit had memorized that. Man, it's, oh. I haven't seen True Grit since it was out in theaters. What? You should go watch True Grit again. It's it was good. I remember really liking it. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Th- that, uh, that's, a, that's a Coen Brothers movie, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's got that It's got that one girl who became a pop singer in it. Uh, Haley, Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld, yeah. Um... So there's a really, really great moment here when they're uh, revealing that the snake could be dangerous 
where on the word dangerous, there's a vertigo pull on Arthur, and we get a good, like, one of those good patented Arthur gasps. <gasps> I think now's a good time to bring up that, like, this episode is all about the tension of, like, so they go up to the room, and the snake isn't in the box. So at this point, they're thinking it could be anywhere. And I wrote down here, at times, this episode almost feels like it could be, like, baby's first alien. Like, there's actually some legitimately good tension in this episode of where the snake would be. And it's relatable because, like, I wouldn't want to be caught in my house with a snake on the loose. No, you're right. They're, they, they're really good at building ten- tension in this episode. And they keep in mind in where they place the camera for these seeds or, you know, for all intents and purposes, the, the, the animation camera, like where they frame the scene. Mm. It's always from ground up. Uh, which they don't normally do. I notice this, like, whenever you... There's a lot of scenes in succession of uh, they're looking for the snake, mom arrives, and we see the snake escape out of the corner of our eyes. All of those scenes are, like, down up. So, like, it's from ground level. You're looking up from the snake's yeah. level, uh, and it's a really, really good artistic choice uh, that just makes the whole thing a little creepy. And I loved the part where... They're uh, cleaning Arthur's room, or they all go check Arthur's room, realize the snake's gone missing, and it's basically an alien situation where the snake could be anywhere. Arthur's mom has this great moment where she's like, I'm going to tell him about how he needs to learn some responsibility. She storms upstairs. She's like banging on the door. And then when she opens it, of course, Arthur's room is completely cleaned because they were looking for the snake. And she's like, oh, oh, you cleaned your room. She's like surprised. And then we see the snake escape, and all the kids are like, oh. Yeah. It keeps it go- it keeps it going. Speaking of that moment there, uh, you know, mom's about to lay into him about how he can't have his friends over and needs to clean his room, that sort of thing. I would never get away with a having this many friends over on like no notice, and b having them help me clean my room. I would get in trouble for that. You'd get in trouble for having your friends help you clean your room. Yeah, because it's supposed to be my responsibility, and I shouldn't be asking my friends to help me. That's wild. I feel like I never encountered that situation because I don't think I could ever convince my friends to help me clean my room. Yeah, like that. I, that I think that's my parents just—I don't think my parents necessarily cared about me holding up the responsibility. Just they just wanted the end result of a clean room. Hmm. Fair enough. Uh, so uh, yeah, we get, we do get that shot of the snake going by mom's feet. There's a couple times in this episode where like the snake goes right by a parent and. I'm like, how did you not see that? But of course, it's I, all all to keep up the tension. And I also get really like it's 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 tense, but it's also very comedic. Like, I, it's very '90s sitcom. Like this whole episode is straight out of a '90s sitcom. Of oh, the main character has a secret. They're trying to uphold the secret, and wacky hijinks ensue. Uh, for instance, we now get this moment where uh, Arthur. Uh, says, well, why don't we have a contest? First one to find the snake wins. Binky immediately goes, I forfeit. Uh, that's a great running joke throughout this episode is how scared Binky is of the snake. He's the one who's convinced that the red bands were uh, yellow, next to the yellow, not next to the black. So it is a dangerous snake. Um, we get a moment where the snake goes to the bathroom and scares DW. Yeah. And she thinks it's a sea serpent. And then, uh, is it mom that invest? It's mom that investigates, and she just discovers them washing pal, which is another great cover. Like I love this of like Bob's about to discover the snake, and then Arthur does one of his chores. Um, yeah, that it is a great way to kind of 
elong- elongate the whole thing that's going on here. Ooh, no pun intended. Ugh. It's like a snake would elongate. There's a there's a great moment here where um, uh, mom is talking to dad, and uh, dad has the line of, so they helped him clean his room. What's suspicious about that? Oh, Arthur's dad is like subtly the best part of this episode. He's got a bunch of great lines. He does. Um, I also have they... a... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry? No, no, no. No, no, no you go ahead. You go ahead. I was going to move on. What, what were you going to okay. say? Okay, I just, I just want to say there was a moment here. I have it written down that mom briefly looks at the camera, like uh, Jim Halpert style, but I'm, oh, having, my goodness. I'm having trouble finding it. Hmm, I think I missed that as well. Uh, but the next locale, basically, that you want to talk about things you'd get in trouble for. I definitely would get in trouble for this, where they the snake ventures into Arthur's parents' room. And Arthur even is like, I don't know if we could go in there. This is my parents' room. But they storm in with all their friends anyway. Uh, I guess Arthur's parents were redecorating because the room is filled with boxes. Mm. Um, Brain's got a fantastic line where he says, uh... uh uh, snakes like baskets and boxes are kind of like baskets so the snake should be in here uh which is i i guess is sound logic uh now that's but act- once oh. yeah no continue continue oh but once again once again they are discovered by arthur's mom and so this shouldn't go over well this seems like one of those things where uh he would get in trouble for sure but Again, with the last-minute save, Arthur's like, you want us to move these boxes downstairs? And she's surprised that her son's being responsible. Goes, that would be very helpful. Uh, that's actually a little bit of an inverse of, some, of what we just talked about. I was, I never got in trouble for going in my parents' room. It wasn't, like, strictly off-limits to me. Not necessarily me wandering into my parents' room, but I would never be allowed to, like, bring my friends to hang out in there. Absolutely not. So all this time... Uh, Arthur, Sue Ellen, and Brain were investigating the upstairs. Buster and Binky were stationed downstairs. Uh, they're carrying the boxes downstairs. The snake is in one of them and slithers into the uh, slithers away from them. Uh, and then Binky and Buster meet them in the dining room. And Buster says, and they're both carrying plates of spaghetti. And Buster's like, "Well, it's not in the fridge." <laughs> that, no, was, I mean, that was great. It's Buster and yeah, Buster and Binky. They're like, well, it's not in the fridge. That's another great moment. Again, this is actually again a very tense episode. Uh it's kind of unique how it's all in one location. It's taking place uh, during a thunderstorm. It's taking place during a thunderstorm. There's a lot it's one of those Arthur episodes with semi-high stakes, because it could very well be a poisonous snake. Uh but there's all these great moments of comedy peppered throughout. It's what really gives it, like I said, it's it's either like a nineties sitcom or sort of a wacky eighties movie. Uh it's got that kind of vibe. Uh eventually Arthur finds a snake, it's uh behind the TV, coiled up on one of the cables, oh, and it's interrupted. Talk about Talk about comedy and Arthur's dad. This is a real standout moment. Arthur jostles the snake out of there and like, dad's like, you fixed it. And then kind of goes away. And then the static reappears and he's just like, aww. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, the the reception on this TV has been in and out. He's, I don't know what's going on with it. And then Arthur takes the snake away and he's like, oh, it's fixed. And then once they leave, it, once it goes back to static, the delivery on Arthur's dad just being like, aww. I love when Arthur's dad acts like kind of immature or kind of childish. It's a good role for him. DW sees the snake as it slithers away. And Arthur, this is a bit of continuity, actually, from the previous episode. Arthur bribes her by saying, if you don't tell mom and dad, then I'll read you that book about the frog every night for a week. Meaning Hopalong the frog. 
and uh, uh, Arthur's deal with the devil. I, again, it's worrisome that it, that this happened because DW agrees immediately. She's like, "Okay, you got a deal, brother." Oh yeah, that's how, well, that's what she says. She says, "You got a deal, brother." Like it's Hogan doing a handshake deal with Bischoff. You got a deal, brother. What did Binky in the last episode had some weird thing about a deal where he used a similar phrase? Do you remember when they were talking about the holidays? And he was like, Arthur, Booby, I got a holiday for you. <laughs> it wasn't that. Uh, it, I think it's like something like Arthur, my man, or something. Ar- yes, Arthur, my man. <laughs> Vicky, Vicky comes along with a good clutch, my man, every now and then. Uh, I, I also want to note that Pal is still wearing the towel that he was dried off with from his bath, and he like wears it for the rest of the episode. Very cute. I think that's very cute. Uh Arthur and DW are looking in the kitchen and mom comes in and says, I really don't appreciate you kids playing in the kitchen and take that snake out of pal's dish. And it's a, comedic, this is, like, this is a all time. This is like a top 10. If you're going to just go by moments, this is like a top 10 all time Arthur moment. The execution of this joke is so perfect of like, like the way mom's inflection doesn't change at all. She goes, uh, and you can take the snake out of pal's dish. And then there's a pregnant pause, and the cut to DW and Arthur's gaping mouths as they're like, "Uh," and then it cuts back to Arthur's mom, and she's just like, snake! It's perfect. It's awesome. And then everybody comes in, where? It, it is very good. In fact, Lucas, would you call it a good joke? <laughs> I would call it a good joke. Also, to add to the, the whole thing, uh, Arthur's dad is also nonplussed. He's like... What does he say? He's like, great snake. Great, he says, n- n- nice looking king snake. <laughs> it takes him a moment. He's like, wait a minute. Where did the snake come from? Uh, and because he, because the, the poem that Sue Ellen was talking about earlier, the little uh, limerick there, it was because uh, one of those snakes is a king snake, which is not poisonous or venomous and uh the other is the coral snake which is venomous so it was a king snake that they had which is the less dangerous variety uh and then arthur gets in uh spot a a little bit of trouble for uh letting the snake in but then eventually the next day they let the snake out in the park where they found it and then they go back to playing hide and seek this time arthur's doing the counting all right uh no word from us kids that we could find this week uh so let's go now to the second half of the episode this is muffy's new best friend uh starting off of course with an episode title like that we're talking francine and muffy it's a bit of a spotlight episode for them and arthur in the cold open is talking about how close of friends they are perfect best friends he calls them and the cold open is actually arthur's only appearance in this entire episode yeah, I guess that's true. I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. In fact, Buster mm-hmm. is there in the cold open, doesn't say anything, but does make a further appearance. No, we have Arthur's mom and DW, but we know Arthur in this whole episode besides the cold open, which is an interesting choice, but I think it works. Mm. Francine is her is biking over to Muffy's place because she wanted to tell her that she got accepted into soccer camp, which she's very excited about. Uh, Muffy is also excited because she shows Francine her lame woosel shoes. <laughs> Muffy got those new J's, you know what I'm saying? Muffy got those, those Air Max 95, you know what I'm saying? They sparkling and stuff. They they're are shiny. They're a sparkling type of sneaker that make like a, whoosh, whoosh, like a, almost like a dusting sound when you, when you, uh, when you move them. 
Uh, Which is a great detail because she's wearing them the whole episode, and every time she exits a scene, you hear that. Uh, now, Lucas, you're you're a bit more of a sneakerhead than I am, but these oh. these uh, I don't know about these ones. In fact, y- you're talking about that the, that they're pretty fresh. I'm thinking much like a Black Panther in the year 2018. I'm gonna bust out a what are those? My goodness, the harsh words. I'm gonna pull up this episode because I need to see them again. Uh, I, I to really determine how I feel about these. To describe them, um, to describe them, they're uh, they're kind of like a gray or they're like a silver uh, sneaker with kind of a red trim and uh, also a blue trim around where the soles are and uh, like glittering accents on them every now and then. Oh my goodness! Kind of, kind kind of like rhin- like rhinestones almost. Yeah, I can't get a good look at them, but I I don't know. If I I could Buffy's the type where I could see her rocking them. Maybe not myself, but uh Buffy's got a certain swag about her that if if she, if she wants to rock her glittery shoes, I think she could pull it off. I I do like here how, you know, Francine and Muffy, Muffy's very excited for Francine to go to soccer camp. And when she shows, when Muffy shows off her shoes, Francine's excitement in comparison sounds very fake. She's just like, oh, that's so great, Muffy. And I'm like, yeah, you don't care. <laughs> but it's actually, you know, but it, a yeah. subtext of this is that it's very nice that she is uh, sort of making it seem like she cares. Because she, she knows it makes Muffy happy and she wants Muffy happy. And she's ex- excited that Muffy's happy because they're good friends. Keep that in mind as the episode goes on. Uh, and then they, they're they trying to decide how they celebrate. Francine wants to play soccer, and Muffy wants to try on new jewelry. And then they both imagine themselves in this situation. Muffy oh, on this a, is a great joke. Muffy on a soccer field being stretchered away. And then Francine in Muffy's room as she tries on jewelry, also being stretchered away. Quick note here, the music in these imaginations is the same alarm tone that Jenna, my fiance, uh, uses. So I heard that, and I was like, oh, it's time to wake up. Speaking of a Jenna. Yeah. Let's get to the episode at large here. Uh, Francine and Muffy are on their way to the Mill Creek Mall, or wait, their way back from the Mill Creek Mall, uh, where they're going on a day of shopping and then finishing off with soccer. So uh, the Elwood City uh, place to hang out, the Mill Creek Mall. And they are going to watch the QVC Makeup and Jewelry Awards, which... I don't know if we. Have... I was surprised they dropped QVC like by name. QVC is a like, real Q... brand, right? Yeah, that's what I'm. It's it's a straight up like that's the name of the channel, like the shopping channel. Um, and it was weird to me that they didn't. Maybe it's like, hmm. I wonder if it's like public broadcasting, like PBS's or something, because Q... The fact that QVC was name dropped, it's odd. It's like if Arthur talked about Fox or NBC or something, right? Because it's mm. just that's just what the shopping channel's called, as far as I'm concerned. But I uh, I don't think we have it in Canada, if that's what you were going to say. Right. right. So then they go to the soccer field, Muffy fresh from uh, uh, shopping. But then she gets her shoe stuck in a mud pit. And not a mud pit, but like a mud puddle. And it comes right off her foot to which she is completely disgusted in <laughs> fact she calls it a shoe emergency and says to francine there's a lawsuit in this somewhere which is a and great line to, how old is movie supposed to be eight years old yeah <laughs> uh so muffy makes a quick exit she she telephones for her uh her limo driver to pick her up and she'll see francine later at the 
Makeup and Jewelry Awards. So Francine's a little bummed because she doesn't get to play any soccer. But who should come in with her own soccer ball but Jenna, the uh, the gray cat that we've seen in just a couple of episodes. I think she's only had like one speaking role besides this episode so far. Uh, yeah, she was like in one ensemble episode where all the girls were hanging out. Yeah, it was the fern, oh, the fern the fern episode. Yeah, it was the fern mystery, and that was like the first time they referred to her by name. They were like Jenna with her bag of chips. Uh, yeah, so it's nice to see her getting a little bit more exposition and story time. Yeah, so Jenna's uh, Jenna and Francine start playing soccer. Jenna, a little bit of a a sporty person like Francine. Uh, we cut back to Muffy's place as they're playing. And she she's wondering where Francine is. She's apparently late for the uh, Makeup and Jewelry Awards. And she goes to call her, and we see that on Muffy's phone there is a speed dial. And Francine's number is listed above various emergency services like police and fire. <laughs> police, fire, and grandma. <laughs> I thought that I thought that was a great uh, a great a great little uh, addition. A great little detail. She tries calling Francine. Catherine is on the phone, tying up the landline like a teenager in 1999 would. Oh, my goodness. This part's awesome because uh, Catherine's talking about – she's talking to one of her friends about some boy. And the story is just like – and then he said, you're impossible. And then I said, you're impossible. And then he said, you're impossible. And then he gets the she gets the beep that it's like someone's on the other line. And she goes, oh, don't worry about it. That's just someone on the other line. And then she continues with, and then you're impossible which again very 1997 i don't think you hear the phrase people calling people impossible that much anymore no not really uh we cut to school the next day and muffy says that francine never came that night nor did she ever return her calls and muffy can't understand it in fact she says i don't get it she's always done whatever i wanted before Mm, muffy comes dangerously close to an epiphany here we do get uh uh buster's theory is that Francine forgot because uh, she was playing soccer and then aliens came down in a flying saucer and they start playing like tic-tac-toe on the soccer field with a laser and the laser accidentally hits the soccer ball into Francine's head and she gets amnesia. So another another occurrence of amnesia being a theory in Arthur. After she gets amnesia, uh, she looks at the camera and is like, Muffy, who? Which is and, her, and, and her eyes are like spinning, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we actually get here. Uh, for, um, uh, oh, sorry, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. Uh, Muffy tries to send a note to Francine to to talk to her uh, in Ratburn's class. It accidentally goes to Binky, uh, so Binky thinks that Muffy wants to talk to her, and that leads to uh, something that I've seen. I wouldn't call it a meme, but I've definitely seen this screen cap a lot before, where um, uh, Muffy's trying to get Francine's attention. Uh, and she's like, Francine, Francine. And then Binky comes up and says, so Muffy, what do you want to talk about? And then Muffy says, Binky, how rude. Can't you see I'm shouting? <laughs> I don't think I've seen that meme, but it is a really funny moment. Uh, Binky, uh, I mean, we've said this once with sight again, but Binky's a great char- character, full stop. But I also love seeing Binky mixed up with Francine and Muffy, who are both pretty different from him. Uh, and it's moments like these where he really stands out as being the, like, comic relief to Buffy and Francine's actual drama, and Binky's just kind of there. Uh, in fact, Binky, yeah, J- Binky just being kind of there in uh, as Muffy and Francine have their confrontation here. Um, 
Binky is just playing with a yo-yo in the background, like really just trying to make it work. Uh, Francine which has which up. has a payoff yeah. because eventually, uh, France, uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, but Muffy does have a dramatic exit from this scene. And then when Binky's all by himself, he says to no one, uh, I did it! I finally did it! I'm walking the dog! And he's doing the walking the dog trick with the yo-yo. He realizes no one's around and he's like, oh, girls... It reminds me of the yo-yo that I had when I was when I was younger. I, f- I forget what it was called, but they had a type of yo-yo where it would like automatically come back up to you, mm. like to make to make it to make it easier to do tricks. I loved that thing. It was like it came in like blue and red kind of electronic colors. It was I loved it. I really wish I could remember what it was called. This would have been about like two thousand or something. You know, Francine is Francine did not mean to miss uh, Muffy's. Uh, makeup and jewelry awards but she does come back by saying you never asked me if i wanted to do that in the first place and if i'm going to soccer camp i need to practice at least a little and then muffy kind of says well i could practice soccer and uh goes with jenna and francine to play and that's where we get that binky line you talked about uh i worth noting here that muffy really gets gets the stuffing knocked out of her in this episode like she gets quite quite a lot of uh, physical harm done to her, especially in this scene here where she's playing soccer with Jenna and Francine, and like she gets mud on her shirt, uh, she gets hit in the head with a soccer ball. Like they both c- crash into her. Yeah, I mean it makes sense because so up to this point, it the blame is sort of F, to be placed fifty fifty. Like Buffy is being unreasonable in that she always wants Francine to do what she wants to do and never really, like, does Francine's ed trusts. But Francine was also not necessarily in the right in completely skipping Buffy's party that she had agreed to go to. She should have at least called first and not kept Buffy waiting. Uh, It's this moment here where Buffy's sort of getting the stuffing beat out of her, and then she kind of blows up on Francine where Muffy uh, plants her feet firmly in the wrong uh, because she all of a sudden snaps and sort of just starts yelling at uh, Francine and Jenna by being like, well, why don't you do what I always want you to do, which is really unreasonable. Yeah, Muff- Muffy reaches the end of her rope and is just like, maybe I should find somebody who does what I want to do, and they kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. end up going their separate ways. She also uh, claims they're trying to give her amnesia, which is a yeah, fun when, callback. When, when she gets hit in the head with the soccer ball. So the the rest of the episode, or at least the majority of it, is Muffy kind of interviewing other members of the Arthur gang to be her new best friend. And can I say, this is also the best part of the episode, is uh, Muffy uh, interviewing prospective friends. Big time. Uh, she, I, I agree with you. She starts off here with Brain, who she's kind of like literally going through a job interview with. Uh <laughs> Brain, Brain actually has a good one here where she asks him, like, what's an appropriate ensemble to wear to go with uh, this or that? And Brain actually has a really good answer of, like, a, you know, like a matching chenille gown, leather belt, and matching socks or something like that. Like, he, it's actually a pretty good answer, all things considered. But the deal breaker is when she asks, which is more important, fashion or soccer? And... We actually get a line from the brain as he's escorted out of out of the grounds of Muffy's place. He says, so "This is what failing feels like. Fascinating." <laughs> uh, we get a couple more quick hits of like Muffy screening potential best friends after Brain. Sue Ellen doesn't work out because she doesn't like fashion as much as she likes Taekwondo. She, uh, Fern doesn't work out because uh, she finds fashion a waste of time next to reading poetry. 
Uh, and then we get one of the better ones where it's it's uh, Prudella. Uh, and when Muffy's giving her the questionnaire, Prudella says, oh, I have one too. Uh, and then she starts talking about the star signs and like, I don't remember the exactly which one. It's something rising in the house of Capricorn. It might be Leo or something. Uh, and Muffy, even Muffy is like, oh, jeez, and has to get out of there. And that's a, and that's my good joke of the episode <laughs> is, uh, is Muffy... Uh, it's like she has a shocked look on her face when Prunella brings out the Zodiac thing. It cuts back to Prunella, and then it cuts back to where Muffy's supposed to be, but it's just an empty chair. Classic Uh, gag. And speaking of good jokes, uh, remember earlier when I said the uh, snake in the bowl is a top 10 all-time Arthur moment? Uh, This next sequence, similarly, is also a top 10 all-time Arthur moment, and it's Buster uh, going to the mall with Muffy. They're in the clothing store, and then Buster sorts of Buster like has a full body freakout where he can't breathe, and he says, "Clothes everywhere, can't breathe," and then he just runs out of the clothing store screaming into the toy store where he goes, "Ah, toys." A very accurate little boy reaction to going clothes shopping when you don't have to, or clothes uh, shopping at all. My parents would talk about this seed all the time. They they referred to it quite often as when I was a kid. <laughs> Did they see any truth in it? Did you ever one run screaming from a uh, from a from a clothing store? Believe it or not, probably yes. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it is a good one. Very, a very, very good visual gag. Also, uh, brands in the store Mega Kid, such as uh, Prima Donna Jeans and Garp. I would wear a Garp hoodie. That sounds... Gar- the, the latest sweet streetwear brand, Garp. Garp and Garp Kid. Uh, so finally, it seems that Muffy may have found somebody that she can relate to. But she's, like, talking to this person off screen, and it's a great line here. It eventually reveals that she's talking to DW over lunch, and she says, like, you have this, you have this, and you have a refreshing lack of tolerance for other people's stupidity. And, uh, yeah, the waitress, like, comes by, and DW's like, excuse me, this fry is underfried. And then and then uh, Mom has to take DW away. Uh, she, she says, Th- just... thanks for watching DW, Muffy, while I went shopping. And then Muffy's like, if only you didn't have to take naps. <laughs> and so eventually, uh, Muffy's down to the wire. And I don't know why she never went to Arthur, but her last ditch effort is Binky and tries to make it work with him uh, as her as her new best friend. So they go on the teacup ride at the local amusement park, but they decidedly don't spin because Muffy hates it when they spin. And Francine find- always used to spin it as hard as she could and it would make Muffy sick. That's right, but without Francine spinning it, it's too boring. Yeah, Biggie falls asleep. And then they go try and decide on a movie to go and see. Um, now, Will, I, I know me and I know you. Yeah. You wrote down all the fake movies, didn't you? Because I also wrote down all the fake movies. I have it paused here uh, on the episode. We have Quest for Mammoth. Yeah. We have Jaws 12. This next one I'm going to need your help on. Is it yeah. Nadja and Dracula? Yeah, like Nadia and Dracula, like the name, like Nadia or Nadia. Nadia. Is that a reference to something or that's just... I I genuinely don't know. Uh, Might have to let our listeners uh, fill in the gaps on that one and let us know. We have Miniature Giant, which is a hilarious oxymoron. Uh, And then once again, permanently in theaters, almost like Black Panther, uh, Bionic Buddy the movie, still playing in theaters. 
two more great fake movies as well, and I love the posters that go along with them. The writers are so creative when it comes to this kind of stuff. I love it. Uh, 5,000 Explosions and a Supernova, which I think is a running joke, right? We've heard about this movie before. Yes. Uh, And Slobbering Idiots. Which makes me laugh even now. Like, the idea of a movie just called Slobbering Idiots. I assume it's like a Dub and Dumber style comedy. Uh, It's just funny to hear. Like, what a great title. I wish there was a real movie called that. There's a great line about uh, 5,000 explosions in a supernova. Binky suggested, and then Muffy says, Nah, Francine says it's too talky. (laughs) That is a really good joke as well. That's a a good joke. Uh, And then they decide on the kickball kids... uh, Egypt Adventure or something? That one actually sounds like it could be real. Mm. I mean, I could see Slobbering Idiots and 5,000 Explosions as a Supernova also being real. So they go see Kickball Kids because Muffy says Francine loved it. And then uh, as they come out of the theater, Muffy's still kind of mentioning Francine. And uh, and Binky's like, are we going to... Are we gonna like? Are we gonna shop? Or are we gonna talk about Francine? Yeah, and there's a sass in Biggie's tone that we're not used yeah. to. It's a great line. And then finally, uh, Muffy has gone so far as to buy the the uh, clothing that Francine wears, which it's it's she- kind of uncanny seeing uh, Muffy decked out in Francine garb. I feel like this is the first time we've seen Muffy wearing jeans. Yeah, uh, and they're at the soccer field with a brand new soccer ball, um, and then. They kind of are Muffy's kind of reluctant to play anything, but then they see Jenna and uh, and they assume that Francine is with her. Uh, but then Jenna says, no, Francine actually went shopping. And then Muffy's like, she did. And immediately like runs, runs away to go to the Mill Creek Mall to find Francine. And it seems that they were both looking for each other in the places that they knew each other would be. Uh, as Francine kind of reveals, they did they didn't want to be apart from each other. The, so they kind of make up here at the mall, and then try and decide on what to do. And we get like a quick thing of here, like uh, uh, go swimming. Yeah, we get this extended thing of we're worried like one of them is going to say something the other one doesn't want to do, and then they both agree go swimming, and they say it at the same time. And the episode actually ends with, like, a, a new friendship slash potential shipping material formed as Binky and Jenna are hanging out until basically the sun goes down at the, at the soccer field. And they're just and Binky's like, I like you. You're pretty cool. And Jenna's like, you're pretty cool, too. So I was like, ooh, something happening there. He even said, the, uh, don't, don't tell Muffy, but you're more fun to play with. And then uh, Jenna says, you want to see slobbering idiots? And Binky says, who wouldn't? All right, uh, let's roll it back here. And Lucas, when when we do our final evaluations, let's keep in mind uh, the student of the episode, uh, because these are both kind of ensemble episodes. Hmm. And and uh, we'll kind of get our opinion on who was the student of the episode. So this is Hide and Snake. What did you think? Uh, I loved Hide and Snake. I really mm. did. I think this is a, a special episode from top to bottom. Like I said, uh, all the things I said while we were talking about the episode, it's got a very specific tone, sort of that like almost Goonies 80s movie tone where there's serious stakes and the kids know what's going on, but the parents don't. They're trying to hide a secret and, and they get into all kinds of uh, sort of trouble as a result and it's also juxtaposed with like a lot of really creative stuff with 
you know, the camera being on the ground floor and, and the tense moments with the snake always just getting away. And it's really funny. There's a lot of moments in this episode that made me laugh actually out loud. Uh, Arthur being like, speaking of pet care, uh, along with uh, <laughs> when Buster comes out of the fridge and he's like, it's not in the fridge. Uh, and, and, and that great moment with Arthur's mom being like, hey, could you take the snake out of pal's bowl? All that stuff uh, culminates it with a uh, uh, sort of Arthur having to own up to the fact that he did indeed hide the snake, uh, but he did do all of his chores as a result. And I just thought it's a fun episode, and there's no filler in it. There's no point in this episode where I was boring. Like everything's important. Uh, everything is either funny or kind of uh, brings the plot forward a little bit. It's just sharp and concise, and I really, really enjoyed it. I agree with you. Um... I my expectations were low going into this because I was like, ah, how good can this episode be? Where they're oh, they're trying to find the snake in Arthur's house. But like I said, the tension is really what carries it, and it's you know it's nothing if you've seen you know uh, a horror movie. Like I say, it's basically baby's first alien. But you got to start somewhere for the uh, for the audience it was intended for. I think this would be a, a a real fun ride, and even for. Us who are older, I still got a lot of you know. There's some great lines in here. Uh, I thought, and I thought it was really well executed. Um, it, and it was just interesting to see how the story unfolded. It was I. I really did enjoy this. Uh, and I'd say for me, the student of this one would probably be Arthur. I think he really thought on his feet when it came to distracting his parents. And uh, I appreciated that. What about uh, what about you? If you had to pick somebody, uh, my student for this one is Binky. Uh, for one, executing the ultimate strategy when it comes to uh, hide and seek, uh, and two for all the comedy that happened as a result of him being extra scared of the snake. Uh, on to Muffy's new best friend. Uh, I liked this. I'm not. I don't feel as strongly about it as I do hide and snake, which I think was you know a lot of. F- fun uh and kind of uh went a little bit outside of the box of the type of emotions that stir up in an Arthur Arthur episode with the tension and everything this one was kind of uh, a bit more of what I feel ensemble episodes are of just kind of like you know fun with everybody it's not great but it's not but it's not bad either I I think I could see somebody feeling a lot more uh strongly about this than I do because there are some really good lines in here there's some good character work, especially with Francine and Muffy. It's a, it's a, I'd say it's a perfectly good episode that I don't feel terribly strongly about. I'd say it's uh, like a single thumbs up. Uh, I, I think as a pair, these are both two like pretty high quality episodes to be matched together. You know, we talk all the time about how like one will be good and one will be super middle of the road, but I think this is one of the better pairs we've seen so far. Uh, in terms of just Muffy's new best friend, uh, it is a little bit, um, I think it doesn't really hit its stride until halfway through when Muffy is interviewing all the different possible friends. I think that's really the comedic core of the episode. But there is some great stuff with, you know, uh, it's always fun when Arthur tackles something like female friendship and it's always based on two female characters uh, and they're the core of the episode and I really appreciate that. But it does drag, for me personally, a little bit in the first half. Uh, but once it gets going with uh, Muffy trying out all the new friends, I basically let out a laugh with every single friend she tried. Uh, <laughs> with the especially funny ones going to uh, 
Brain and and Prudella and and uh, Binky and and even DW. Like most of them were really really funny, and they did something creative with each friend. Uh, so that's really the strongest part of the episode. That and all of Binky's lines, like when he is uh, walking the dog with the yo-yo and stuff like that. And props to them to giving uh, Jenna a little bit more character as well. Uh, like you said, though, I think it, it like it's not super outstanding or anything like that. But I have not really anything to say negative about it except for the first half drags just a tad. Uh, again, two really strong episodes to be paired together in my opinion, though. Yeah, it's a good use of your uh, 25 minutes. Uh, as for the student of the episode, I will go with... I'll say Binky. I, th- I think Binky uh, had the kind of best input here. I will say uh, Jenna, just because, you know, we haven't really gotten to hear anything about her yet, uh, besides that she had that bag of potato chips, and now we know a little bit more about her. She's athletic, and she's quick to make friends, because two separate people became friends with her in this episode. So, two for Binky, one for Arthur, and one for Jenna. Uh, the, uh, excuse me, the quest to find the best student of season four uh, begins now. And there you have it. There is another episode of Elwood City Limits. Thank you for joining us once again. And if you want to get more involved with us, if you want to talk with us, or if you want to give your opinion on something you heard this episode, we Bagged invite milk, you. perhaps? And bagged milk. You know it. Uh, here's how you can do that. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. If you hadn't, please give us a like over there. We'd very appreciate it. At ECL Podcast on Twitter. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. Feel free to send us an ask. Or if you'd like to send us an email like our wonderful uh, listeners did this week, ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. You can also go over to Elwood City, uh, Patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits if you'd like to support us financially and fill in any gap weeks that we may have with our filibuster episodes. We've already done one over there. If you want to hear us talk about uh, the NBA Finals for 2018 and uh, the TV show Young Justice, then all it takes is as little as a dollar. Plus, if you want to keep listening to the show or recommend it to somebody else, you can uh, find us on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't let us left us a rating and review, we would really appreciate it if you did. Uh, you can find us on the Google Play Store and at elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com. The next full episode after that one in a couple of weeks is going to be Buster's Breathless, followed by The Fright Stuff. So get ready for that. Uh, Some great Elba City Limits content coming your way. And thank you very much for supporting us as always. My name's Will Young for Lucas Mancini. You're impossible. No, and I said, you're impossible. And then he said, you're impossible. Thanks a lot, guys. We will see you next time.